number of years ago, Marcy and I had the privilege of serving uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area at a wonderful church. Uh, it was Three Cities Assembly of God. It's now Limitless Church, right near the San Francisco airport. And it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful place. Uh, it, was a, it was a great six years that we spent there. There was a family in our congregation. His name was, their names were Wes and June Malcolmus. Uh, the Malcolmus were just, they were extraordinary people. They had an overwhelming love for God and an overwhelming love for people. They were just, you just couldn't help but love these two. Wes was by trade a builder. And when we had moved to Burlingame, he was now the, the, the building inspector, one of them, I think it was the, probably the chief building inspector for the city of Hillsborough. And so his responsibilities had changed from building now to inspecting and being a part of kind of the, uh, the leadership, the, govern, the governance of Hillsborough. Well, as time went on, West became so, he's so good at his trade, he was asked to be part of FEMA, the to travel around the country, disaster assessment is what he did. And so it was really cool to see this incredible genesis of this man. But one Sunday afternoon, we're getting ready for a Sunday evening service, and I had received a phone call from a person at the San Francisco airport and who was in need, and I couldn't do anything. It was about 10 minutes before service started. I couldn't do anything. So Wes had ser- was serving on my board. So I went to Wes. I said, hey, Wes, would you do me a favor? Would you go to San Francisco to the airport and take care of the need, et cetera, et cetera? He said, absolutely. So he was out the door and on his way. His wife, June, was part of our worship, kind of the worship team at the church. She, was a, she played keyboards. And so I was connecting with her before service, and she said, have you seen Wes? And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I have. So where is he? I said, well, I sent him to the airport to help a person in need. She goes, oh, no. I went, oh, Okay. Oh, Pastor Gary, he's going to give them everything we have. And I went, okay. Now, she said it with this little bit of a, a giggle and a little bit of a wry smile that she had. But the idea was, of anybody I could send, why did I send Wes? Well, he was available, but when she, she looked at it completely different, Wes was generous to a fault. He would give away everything and anything, and she was very well aware of that. Now, obviously, Wes didn't give everything away, but there's something that I've taken from that now these 30 years. Wes, by nature, was just generous. He just, he had a heart of generosity. And if you've ever been around a person like that, they are just amazing people. That there's just something about them that's so captivating, it's so so wonderful, so godly. And Wes was godly in every form and fashion, but Wes was an extraordinarily generous individual. And I, I've thought about this, and I, you know, when I looked at Wes's life, and, and I had the privilege of doing his memorial service about four years ago, and it was, it was one of those, it was a joyful, it was a joyful celebration of a person's life. And I could honestly say as I stood before that congregation, I could talk about this man's character and I could talk about his generosity because it was at the very core of who he was. It was more to Wes, it was not, it was not this one-time thing that he would just do this. It wasn't something that he would only do on occasion. It wasn't something for a special event or a special moment in time, but rather it was his life. It was the norm for him. 
he literally lived a life of generosity. And I believe something happened in Wes's life. I believe that his, his world expanded because of it. It wasn't something that as he was generous, his world contracted. But as he was generous, his world expanded. It became even greater, more opportunity. And I believe a direct result of that, he was a contractor who became a building inspector, who became a federal emergency management uh, uh, not association agency, there we go, for the entire country of helping people in every, in every disaster. He, he, his world just continued to grow and to expand. I thought about that in relationship to our series of generosity and the aftermath of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection has incredible impact. It, 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 has, it, it, it dispels fear. It, it, it overwhelms doubt. It, it pushes us towards life in so many different ways. And I believe one of the aftermath, one of the after effects of the resurrection is an increased exponential generosity. So we're going to talk about that a little while. And so as we do, I just want you to know, if you got your seatbelts, so you want to buckle up now, keep your hands and your feet on the ride, inside the ride at all times, we're going to talk about money for a few moments, all right? A bit. We're not going to talk about all of the moments, but we are going to talk a little bit about money. And I said, you know what, to be honest, I, I think sometimes the notion is, is that all we do in the church, I've heard this again and again, that all we do is talk about money. And really, that's kind of unfair, to be honest. But we need to talk about it. Why? Well, did you know that within Scripture, there's about 2,350 different Scriptures on money and the use of money, you know, in the Bible? Now, here's something else interesting. If, depending upon the translation that you look at, uh, there are 2,200, and you've used the highest numbers. There are 2,200 verses on faith, hope, love, heaven, and hell combined. So as a church... When you begin to teach God's word, you've got to talk about money and its use. But I don't want to just spend our moments on money. I want to talk about generosity. Money's a part of that. We'll get to that. But generosity. You know, when I think about generosity, I remember the words of Jesus. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So we understood this of how important that treasure is. Solomon would say this. In he would say very clearly, he said that the heart is the wellspring of life, and everything that we do comes from the heart. So if, you're, if your treasure and your heart are connected, everything that we do flows from your heart, and that includes the understanding of generosity. And I want to spend a few moments talking about that today. In fact, I'll just leave you with this verse as we begin, Proverbs eleven twenty four. It's one of my disfavor verses, and I love the way the paraphrase, the message paraphrase, has it for us. Solomon said, the world of the generous grows larger and larger, but the world of the stingy grows smaller and smaller. And nothing could be more true. And I believe it is evidenced in my friend Wes's life. His world continued to expand. And really my desire for all of us this morning is that our worlds would continue to grow and expand. That the opportunities that you and I have continue to increase over time, and I believe that we can see that as we are generous, and as a direct result of the resurrection, this new life that we have because of what Christ has done and the victory he has won for us, generosity can well up within us in ways that we never could have imagined. But you know there are benefits to generosity, and if this was just the musings of some writers or some, you know, 
even pastors or teachers, it would be one thing. But when you consult, uh, you know, things like the Chicago Tribune, the New Republic, Harvest, Harvard Business School, Science Daily, the Journal of Marriage and Family, U.S. News, and they begin to compile benefits of generosity, I think we ought to take a look at it. One of those benefits is generosity makes us healthy. Generosity makes us healthy. One study found that generosity actually reduced blood pressure. Now, you, you all, if you're on blood pressure medication this morning, you should give a big amen to that. Because here we can get moving away from the blood pressure medication back to generosity. It also lowers the risk of dementia, reduces anxiety, depression, and improves, improves chronic pain. I love that. Generosity. Generosity also makes us happy. It makes us happy. According to researcher Christian Smith, feeling good, I love this, feeling good is a product of doing good. And every one of us, if we've done something good, you know how good it makes you feel. There's something about it. Why is that? Because it is built into our neurochemistry, which is so fascinating to me. You see, giving and generosity triggers chemicals like endorphins and dopamine and and oxytocin. And it's true across cultural and economic lines. It's just part of being human. Also, generosity lowers our stress. I don't know about you, but once in a while I could use a little lower stress in life. Amen? Oh, come on. Y'all, y'all, aren't, y'all aren't having stress. If that, if that's as good as it gets. Yeah, we could use a little lower Generosity is a way that we can lower stress. It turns out being stingy can actually raise our stress levels. It's the opposite of what we might think. And number four, generosity improves our relationships. This is so it's amazing. The recipient of generosity, researchers found that the recipients of generosity expressed high levels of marital satisfaction, higher levels of marital satisfaction, but also the giver found higher levels of marital satisfaction. Why? Because of generosity. And finally, generosity. Now, y'all should just love this one. This would be a big amen here. I'm setting you up, all right? Generosity extends our lives. Come on now. We're all looking to put on a few more years. That'll work. Those who volunteered, and this, this is amazing, those who volunteered in two or more initiatives, in other words, they volunteered in at least two different things, listen to this, they caused a 63% lower mortality rate than those who did not volunteer. So in other words, your life expectancy just continues to grow as you give yourself away. You would think, wait a minute, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's exactly right. It is counterintuitive because the resurrection changes everything. Understand this. It changes everything. It, it takes what wasn't life and brings things to life. And I believe generosity is a part of that. Michael Hyatt, who was the former CEO and uh, chairman, chairman CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishing. This is what he said. He said, if we want the full positive effect of generosity, we have to make it a lifestyle. You see, when you talk about the benefits of generosity, you see that there is something that is, it it encompasses all of life. And that was what Wes's life was characterized. That's how it was characterized. His entire life was given to generosity. And I wonder what it might look like in our lives. Would our world's would our worlds increase? Would they grow larger and larger? I believe they would. Would would our health improve? I believe. Some scientific, scientific studies help us understand or underscore that. 
and this is what I truly, truly want to leave with you today. When we understand and embrace the power of the resurrection in our lives, generosity ceases being something we have to do, and it becomes something we get to do. And when it's a lifestyle, it's something that should just, it just bubbles out of our life. It, it, it is just a natural response in all things. So we're going to spend a few moments this morning in the book of Acts, and I apologize, I, I put the wrong scripture down. It's, it's Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, and not chapter 5. So that was my mistake. Somehow I got a little mixed up, but we're going to read this together. It's in your worship guide. It's also on the screens for us. So look at it with me. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For, time, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Father, I pray you'll speak life to us. Let us be encouraged by your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Acts is the second time we see Luke addressing this idea of, of generosity. And really, we have a whole new community of faith. And it really becomes a, a, a new expression a different expression of generosity. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, what we read is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. And then it goes on and it says this, they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as they had need. Now, why do I bring it up? Because on two different occasions, early as the church is brought into existence, generosity is right at the very heart and soul of who this church is. And that is really so very important. You see, there is a, it's a growing impact of the resurrection into this new community of, of believers. So I want to share this morning five things connecting the the after, in the aftermath of the resurrection to generosity. The first is this. Generosity in the aftermath of the resurrection results as we remain in unity. Unity is such an important part of those of us as people of faith. In fact, you read, Luke says it this way, they were one in heart and mind. One in heart and mind. What an extraordinary phrase. And think, think about this for a moment. Twelve disciples. When Jesus called these twelve guys... You had fishermen, you had a tax collector who basically worked for the Roman government, and you had a zealot who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Now, Jim Gaffigan, he's a great comedian, he's a lot of fun. Jim said this, he says, you can't get five guys together without a fistfight breaking out. And that, I would think that would be absolutely true when it comes to these 12 guys. In fact, look at Luke chapter 9, this is what we read. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. There you go. Here they are. They're going, who's going to be the great? They're vying for position. You know, testosterone is just on parade here. They are, I'm going to be the best. No, I'm going to be the best. They're back and forth. There's just this typical guy stuff going on. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you among you all, who is the greatest. Typical guys, vying for position. Nothing 
Nothing here describes unity at the least. They're not one. They're all over the map. But then Jesus would pray in John chapter 17, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Commentary in the book of Acts, when it speaks of this particular phrase, talks about the unity of one in heart and mind. He says it this way. He says it's a comprehensive unity. And why is that important? Because when you think of unity, sometimes you think we're just all on the same page. But a comprehensive unity enfolds everything. The resurrection changes everything, and unity bubbles to the top greater than it's ever bubbled to the top before. And then out of that results generosity. Unity is critical to those of us as people of faith. Unity is powerful. It's powerful. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says it this way, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of which we speak is more than personal feelings. It's not just that, again, being on the same page, but rather it's connected to a cause greater than the individual. And that's what's so significant about unity here and how it connects to generosity. It's not just about a feeling, but there's something more that's happening. There's something that has transformed their lives that is creating a unity unexpected and unknown prior to this moment. The second thought is that generosity in the aftermath of the resurrection embraces the principle of stewardship. It embraces the principle of stewardship. We're currently doing some repairs on our house. And uh, can, I, can I just say something? This is really important. These are things that we have to do. These are not things that I want to do or get to do. There's not a lot of joy in what's going on at this point. There's no way. We had, we had contractors at our house yesterday. So at 8 o'clock yesterday morning, to the sound of the fan that is still blowing in our house to dry out the, what happened on the inside, we now have contractors outside with uh, jackhammers. Now, there's nothing for a peaceful Saturday more than the fan blowing on the inside and jackhammers happening outside. The jackhammers went on until about 6 o'clock last night. We were just, you know, it's crazy. Now, it's all, it's all going to be good, and I'm so grateful for everybody's working alongside us. We're, we're grateful for that. But here's, here's what I was saying. I was chatting with one of the contractors. I said, you know, we own our home. I, I made that statement, and I stopped. I said, no, I really don't own my home. The bank owns the home. And I just pay the bank to live here. Now, I don't own my home. I, I'm just going to tell you, you don't own your home either. You say, wait a minute, I got my pink slip. Yeah, well, my, my title. Well, you still don't own your home. You still have to pay the government for the privilege of living on that piece of property. We don't really own anything. Anything. There's not one thing that I have or you have that we truly own. What I... What I find so fascinating about this passage of Scripture, this early church made this declaration. Luke identified it. He says, they, look at this. No one claimed that their possessions were their own. Now, you say, aren't you making a little more of that than you should? I don't know that I am. I think they understood and demonstrated the principle of stewardship. There was something that happened inside of them by this new life in Christ that they got to a place and said, wait a minute, I don't own anything. I don't own anything. Steward, a steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. A steward, a steward carries 
no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. It is his job, now listen to this, it is his job to find out what the owner wants done with the assets, then carry out his will. Do we understand that we do not own one thing? I do not own the time that I have. I do not own the resources. I do not own my home. I do not own the giftings that God has given to me. God has given me everything that I have. I am a manager of his assets, and it is my responsibility to find out what he wants me to do with what he has given me. And I'm telling you, that changes everything. And I believe that becomes even more significant to us when we truly understand the power of the resurrection and its transforming nature within our lives. I become a steward and I understand it more fully. Job 41.11, everything under heaven, God says, belongs to me. Every, what part of everything don't we get? Psalm 24, the earth and everything on it belong to the Lord. The world, ready for this, and its people belong to him. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Now listen how he goes on. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Make no mistake, assets, whether they are material, financial, abilities, time, anything, anything that we might leverage for personal enrichment, life, comfort, and gain, God owns everything. It's his. And we are stewards. We're managers. And I just ask myself this question, how am I doing managing his stuff? Whether it's my life or that which he has gifted me to be able to do, how am I doing with that? I'm a steward. I want to be a good and faithful steward. The third is that generosity in the aftermath of the resurrection, I believe, occurs as we stay on mission. You say, what exactly do you mean? Well, it's really interesting that in this passage of Scripture, you start off talking about kind of the generosity of this group of people, and then at the as the passage concludes, back to generosity. But right in the middle of it is this phrase, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So right in the center of this passage, this dealing with generosity, we come right back to the heart of the gospel. I don't believe that's coincidental. The heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is to be shared, to, to be lived out. And I believe that what we observe in the life of this early church is they remained on mission. Nothing was going to push them off mission. There was no mission drift. They were focused on preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the resurrection of Christ, and in the midst of that, generosity was part of that, but they never lost their sense of mission and direction. They always stayed focused on it. When at Crossroads Church, we talk about giving and we talk about serving we talk about leveraging our gifts to, you know, for, the, for, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, it's not so that we just remain self-sustained, that we just keep doing what we... 
No, it is all about mission. And what is the mission of Crossroads Church is to introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. Everything we do goes through that as a filter. And if it doesn't come out on the other end of it, we're not going to do it. Why do we invest our time? Why do we give of our talents and our gifts? Why do we give of our resources so that we can introduce people to Jesus and help them follow him? That's why we gather together. It's why we support missions. And this is what we're about. We want to stay on mission. And generosity, generosity helps us and allows us to do that. This is why we exist. I love this phrase I found from Chris Willard and Jim Shepard. He says, best of all, when the church acts with generosity, it's a clear picture of Christ. I love that. It's a clear picture of Christ, who at the cross generously gave his life and all he had so that we might find life forever. There is no greater expression of generosity than God giving of his son for us. And out of that, that, out of that act of generosity, we are to be and can be generous. We give, we give because Christ gave. We give because Christ gave. Our generosity is about mission. It's about mission. And let me just be just as blunt as I can, keeping the lights on is about mission. Paying the mortgage is about mission. Supporting our missionaries is about mission. VBS is about mission. Kids, students, worship, ushers, greeters, board service, trips to Mexico, it's all about mission. Let's stay on mission and remain generous. Fourth is a generosity in the aftermath of the resurrection. It produces an environment of needlessness. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, when you read this passage of Scripture, you see, these, you see these words, no needy persons among them. That's, that's amazing to me. I was driving to the office on this past Wednesday, and I happened to listen to the news, and I heard an individual from Homeland Security being interviewed. And they were talking to him about the crisis at the border. Now, I'm not here to make any, and not to give an opinion about what's happening there. That's, that's not, on my, not on my heart at all. What the conversation was, it was so striking to me because this is what he said. He said, the resources at the border are overwhelmed. That was his word. They were overwhelmed. In other words, they cannot keep up with what's happening. There are needs beyond their capacity to meet them. Think about that for a moment. There are needs beyond their capacity to meet them. I'm just, I'm just saying that there are huge needs everywhere we turn. I'm so grateful that here at Crossroads, we have Circle of Care. If you're not familiar with Circle of Care, it's a, it's a benevolence ministry that operates three days a week. And I believe, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I believe we're moving to four days a week here shortly, beyond Saturdays as well. We've been considering that for some time. But every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday... Between 11.30 and about 1 o'clock, we serve approximately 700 families a week with benevolence, with food and needed supplies. But I will tell you, that's just scratching the surface of the need. But I go back, I go back to what I read in Acts chapter 4. There were no needy persons among them. Now, I realize this is maybe more 
directly related to the believing community in Acts. I understand that. But you see, when the church is generous, what happens? It gives Christ to the world. It shows shows the community the true generosity, grace, and goodness of God. I'm absolutely confident that if there were more resources, Circle of Care would be able to reach out to more people. Convoy of Hope right now in 14 countries is is feeding approximately 200,000 children every day. I rejoice at that. That is phenomenal. But every convoy event that I attend, the, the, the statement is exactly the same. If we had more resources, we could reach more people. You see, there's a huge need. The need continues to grow. It's it's exponential. But when I look at how the early church responded, they responded generously and there was needlessness. There were no needy persons among them. And my prayer would be that all of Crossroads Church, those of us who call this our place, there would not be a needy person among us because of the generosity of God's people that meet in this place. I pray that there would be an outpouring of generosity upon this church in unprecedented ways, that there would be margins so that we can do more and more and more to introduce people to Jesus and to help them follow him. Generosity is, is the heart of God I believe it can be in our hearts. I believe it can be a lifestyle. It can be the norm for us. And how do we do that? Three things. First, we need to be generous with our abilities. With our abilities. Paul said it this way. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as he's given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, to be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership, ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Do you understand that there are different gifts and every one of the gifts that you and me have have been given to us by God? My gifts are different than your gifts. I'm going to tell you One of my gifts is not doing anything handy around my house. (laughs) Yesterday, I was so proud of myself. And if I were to stand here a moment and tell you what I did, you would go, what? Are you proud? What? That's about as simple as it can Not for me. Why? Because this is not my gift. Honestly. Can I learn it? Poorly. I can learn it, but I won't do it great. It's just... It's not in my DNA. But I'm telling you, some who are sitting in this place, you have amazing gifts at being handy and building and doing things that others might discount. But I want to tell you, that is a gift from God. And you are to steward it well. You are to manage that asset to the glory of God in the interests, in God's best interests. To further and and bring glory to him and to his kingdom. Does it mean you don't do things around your house? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a gift. There are gifts that God has given you different than mine. I'm going to walk in mine. You walk in yours. And when we do that, there are no needy persons among us. Second is that we need to be generous with our resources. Some of us are different places and different levels. I understand that. We talk often about the tithe. What is the tithe? Tithe is a tenth. That's all it means, is a tenth. The tithe in the Old Testament 
started, it predates the law of Moses. It goes back to Abraham's time. And then it is in the law. And then Jesus gives his stamp of approval in, in the New Testament. Now, I, I've heard all of the arguments. I've heard all the debate. Uh, you know, tithing, that's an Old Testament thing. You know, we're under the New Covenant. We don't need to be done. I get it. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just here to say, what the, I know what the Apostle Paul says, that we are to set aside in keeping with our income a gift to be given. And I believe a great way to begin is to look at what had been the pattern for centuries, 10%. It's equitable. Think about it. It makes sense. You say, but Pastor Gary, you don't understand my financial place. 10%, that's like, you know, I, I, I don't even see, I don't see a way through. I don't know how that's ever going to happen. I just want to tell you, God, <laughs> you say, well, you're supposed to say that because you're like the pastor. God will provide. He does. Let me just say this. Marcy and I have tithed 10% our entire lives. I grew up living on a tithe. My dad was a pastor. I've, that's all I've ever known. But you say, well, okay, what do, how do you do that? I don't tithe on the net income. We tithe on the gross income because that's what we've been given. Okay? Now, I not only tithe on the gross income, but we also give offerings over and above that tithe to missions and to other organizations that we believe in. So tithes and offerings are a part of my life. And you say, but how, do, how can I do this? Well, let me, I'm going to give you two things. The first thing you can do is if you say, you know, so I'm just not sure this is all new to me. Start where you are. Start with you are. But set aside something and begin to give that as the first fruits, not the leftovers, but the first of what God has given you. And I'm going to make a promise to you as you begin to do this, put this before the Lord, God will bless you and he will stretch what is left to go farther than what you had without giving. And I'm going to challenge even farther. Give that whole tithe thing a try. Only place in Scripture says, Test me in this, and I will prove myself faithful, and I will open up the windows of heaven, a blessing upon you. The world of the generous grows larger and larger. The world of the stingy grows smaller and smaller. I love, I love how Scripture talks about the giving and, and tithing and offerings and the blessing that follows. I found this phrase, and they just from Randy Alcorn. It's a great little book entitled The Treasure Principle. If you've never read it, I encourage you to get it. It's a small book, probably take you half an hour to read it, but it's just really good stuff. But Randy says this, talking about tithing, he says, does God expect his new covenant children to give less or more? Jesus always raised the spiritual bar. He never lowered it. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. Remember this, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce. And I believe God will bless. Thirdly, we be generous with your time. Be generous with your time. Every one of us in the room have 168 hours every week. I don't have an hour more or an hour less than you do. We're all on the same, we, we all got it. We have 168 hours. And, and here's just the truth. We will always find time for the things that we value. Always. I love to play golf. I've been playing golf since I was five years old. I love the game. If I could, I'd play a couple times a week just because I love it. But I'm going to tell you a truth about golf. You make time to play golf. 
You have to set aside that four or five hours. And if you're not willing to set aside the four or five hours, don't do it because you have to do it. Now, you could talk about a variety of pursuits in the same, in the same way. The point is we make time for the things that we value. And I would, and I believe it to be true about how we serve, how we use our gifts, what God has given us. We make time for that. And I just had this passing thought this, this week, and I've thought about it before, but somehow it just kind of stuck with me. What if every one of us tithed our time? 16.8 hours a week. Can I just tell you, there would be no needy persons among us. Now, I'm not suggesting we do that, but just understand how, how the early church, I'm not suggesting they... they they served 16.8 hours a week. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there were no needy persons among them. Why? Because they gave of their gifts. They gave of their resources. They gave of their time so that needs would be met, that there would be an environment of needlessness. Wouldn't it be amazing for us to see that within our lifetime? James chapter 1, everything good comes from God. Every perfect gift is from Him. These good gifts come down from the Father who made all the lights in the sky. Everything you and I have belong to God. We are stewards managing His assets in His best interest. And finally, this morning, generosity in the aftermath of the resurrection continues as it is as it continues as it is never one and done it's never one and done that's that idiom let me just it's really interesting to me because in in this passage of scripture the words from time to time that's the phrase from time to time now it doesn't we get that but in Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, it has even a richer understanding. Now, I'm going to illustrate it this way. The Golden State Warriors. I cannot tell you how much pleasure it gives me for all of these. I've probably been a Warriors fan for 50-plus years. How much pleasure after 40 years we finally won another championship. I remember in college we won 1975, and then we won against, like, yes, and we're getting ready that we're, I'm, like I'm a part of it, you know. A fan is a fan, you know, whatever. This is going to be, the, they have an opportunity. They're going, they're their fifth straight, fifth straight NBA finals and the potential of three-peating and being four out of five champions. That is just so much fun. You say, well, what does this have to do with anything other than just getting your, you know, your fandom out there? Well, here we go. The Greek words time to time. There it is. It is in the tense in Greek, of the, it's the imperfect tense. And what that means is this, that it's not a single act. Hear this, it's not a single act, but a continuing, repeated, and customary action. It's repeated, hear this, it's continuing, repeated, and customary action. The Golden State Warriors are not one and done. They are continuing. They are repeating. And it is becoming a customary action that they are in the finals. Now, whether you like my analogy or not, it absolutely works because it is continuing. It is customary. It is repeating. And that is the way generosity is to be. It is not a one-time event. Okay, I did my generous thing for my life and I'm finished. I served one time and I'm done. I've given my five bucks. I'm good. No. It's a continuing Repeating 
customary action. That was the example of the early church. And it should be the example that each one of us share. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want a few verses from this passage. And why do I bring this passage in? Because you see, why is it continuing? Well, this is the early church. This is probably now, probably in the, in the mid-50s when Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Maybe a little earlier than that. But now this church in Corinth is, is having this, Paul is encouraging them or, or speaking to them about their generosity. Listen to how the contagion of generosity has now spread from this early church to now. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And listen to the conditions. In the midst of their severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I want you to understand what's happening here. They're getting ready to get a gift and send it back to the Jerusalem church who was now struggling and having difficulty for a variety of reasons. But now in Corinth, a very poor, a very struggling church is saying, please, let us give. Oh, what does the resurrection do? It creates a spirit of generosity that nothing else can create. Listen, Paul goes on. He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you proved yourselves, others will praise God for the, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. You notice that the mission is right in the heart of it all. The mission hasn't been, it hasn't been removed from what their generosity is expressing. And for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. May our generosity be ever ongoing and never a one and done. So one last thought this morning. I believe in the aftermath of the resurrection. We can enjoy and experience exponential growth in our expression of generosity. So my prayer this morning is that we would be, we'd be generous people. That's all, generous people. So I'm going to ask you a question before we pray, before we move into a time of worship, and our prayer team will be at the front of the auditorium. And I just want to say, if you have a need this morning, let someone pray with you regardless of what it is. We're here to agree with you in prayer. We believe, hear me, we believe God answers prayer. We sang it a little bit ago. He is the God of the impossible. If you're walking in an impossible place today, God can heal, restore, provide. He can do all, in fact, he can do above and beyond what you can think or imagine. So trust him today. So I'm gonna ask you a question. And this is my heart. This is my heart. And I'm going to do it by telling you a story. We were living in San Diego some years ago, and Marcy and I, we'd gone out to dinner. And it was, a, it was one of those fun dinners. 
you know, just, I don't, I don't know if we were celebrating or anything or not. And I'll even tell you where we were. I'll tell you how much fun it was. We were at Benihana. Have you ever been to Benihana? It's just fun. You know, they're, you know, they're doing all the stuff they do and the volcano and the, you know, the whole stuff. You know, they're doing the whole shtick, right? All right. It was a great evening. And Mars and I are sitting here on the end, and there are six other people, two couples and a couple of kids. And I was, I was sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at them. I'm going, these are military guys. These are Navy. These are Navy. And you could tell they were trying to figure out how to pay their bill. And man, I felt in my heart of hearts, pay their bill, pay their bill, pay their bill. I didn't. We left and went out, and Marcy and I were sitting in the car. And I said, did you see the family? She goes, yeah, I saw the family. She said, you know, Gary, we should have paid their bill. And I went, oh, God. I was, I have carried, I've carried that, I carried that for years. I thought, I had an opportunity to be generous. And honestly, we probably really didn't have the money. I missed an opportunity to be generous. It was a few years later. Well, it was actually probably 10 years later. And I had, I had told the Lord, and, and I don't know how exactly I told him, but I said, I don't ever want to miss an opportunity like that again. So we are in, I'll tell you, another fun place. We were in Hawaii. And we never, we, we rarely go to Honolulu. We've been, we hadn't been in Honolulu in 30 years. We decided to go to Honolulu. So we're eating in a restaurant. And I, we sit down, we got our stuff, and I'm eating a burger probably. Uh, that would be a good bet. Anyway, a couple, there were four guys come in, sit down. And I looked over at them, I went, they're Navy. They're Navy. There's no doubt about it. So our, our server came over and I said, are they Navy? She goes, she looks at me like, yeah, you know, so, of course. It was just, it was one of those things, it was just obvious just by the way they were. And I said, bring me their bill. I don't, want to, I don't want them to know. Just bring me their bill. And I paid their bill. We got up and left. I don't, know, I don't know whatever happened from that point on, but I know what happened here. First of all, I just walked, we walked out. Oh, thank goodness. More, more than the expression of generosity, it was more than that. It was the obedience that's what did it for me. It was I was obedient. I don't know what generosity looks like for you. It, it may be the gifts that God has given you, the abilities that he has. I want to tell you something. There's nobody like you. Nobody. Nobody can do what you do. It might be your resources. Maybe, there's, maybe you're hearing this and nobody can give like you can give. Nobody can. Because God's given me a gift and I can do this. Maybe it's your time. I can do that. I've got time. I may not have what I feel is a lot of ability, but I can take that ability and I don't have a lot of resources, but I can take my ability and I can leverage my ability along with the leveraging of my time and I can do this for the glory of God so that, so that 
the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, that the resurrection of Jesus is known to all, that the opportunities that there will be no needy persons among them. So what is my call? My call is this. I want to be a generous person. I don't want it to be just an event. I don't want it to be a feeling. I don't want it to be an emotion. I don't want it to be just this one and done thing and I'm, I've, I've checked that box and I'm on to the next. No, I want my life to be like a Wes Malcolmus who was generous to a fault, who would give everything at every opportunity because he was obedient to the Lord. So, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Everybody stand. And if you would just lift your hand with me. Say, I want to be a generous person. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit tell you what that means. Jesus, thank you. Lord, for, let, me, let me just say this. God, thank you for being generous and giving your only son for me. No greater expression of generosity was there when God gave his son. And Lord, there may be someone here today who has not experienced the love, the grace, and the forgiveness. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have, would have everlasting life. And I pray Lord, if we would just make that declaration this morning based upon your generosity, I am confident that if we declare that you are Lord and you are our Savior, we will be saved. And I pray that there would be those in this room who would do that. Or based upon your generosity. And Lord, I pray for the hands of those who are lifted in this room. Let us be generous people. You've done so much, Lord, in, in your life, but then... The resurrection is that stamp that it's done. And in the aftermath of the resurrection, let our generosity increase. Let us understand stewardship. I pray, Lord, that you would take our, our abilities, our resources, our time, and you would help us leverage them for your honor and for your glory. I, I pray, Lord, that there would be no needy persons among us. Lord, create the margins within our lives and the opportunities, I pray. Lord, I thank you that you're able to, to put within us how we can be generous. Do that, Lord. Do that. Let it begin today. Let it begin today and continue all of our life. And I pray, Lord, that the benefits of generosity would just blow up in our lives. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.